Man, I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves and to help our companies take on different strategies, pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you got to have great tasting food. You got to have great tasting beverages, packaged goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're going to lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands and CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're going to find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week. But I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different, better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week Stay tuned for this week's episode. Welcome to Win at Work, everybody. It is Tony, and I got to say, this podcast is taking on a life of its own. Of course, it's on Spotify and iTunes and everywhere you can find a podcast, but I also publish it on LinkedIn because this is where a lot of my listeners hang out. This is where a big, big portion of the food and beverage marketplace is. There's lots of different groups on LinkedIn and all my guests get their podcast kind of put out there so everyone can kind of listen. Well, people message me all the time now when they have these food ideas. And I've recently, one of my friends, uh, he imports lots of food from around the world. And he said, you know, I've been listening. I've been thinking, I want to, I want to do this. You know, I want to launch a product. I want to, you know, he started asking me all these questions and I said, well, are you listening to my podcast? I'm like, you need to be listening because this is literally the the very essence of what a lot of the conversations we have is, you know, how do you launch a brand? How do you commercialize a brand? And I recognize there's a large portion of people out there that are not from the industry and they hear words like commercialization and they don't quite understand, you know, what we're talking about. And as you know, we do a lot of, uh, we have a lot of conversations here about alternate protein, plant-based foods. It's not the only thing, but we do discuss it quite a bit. And I noticed recently there was an alternate protein project. It was up in uh, Chapel Hill. And the, one of the main topics was, you know, how do you develop a plant-based ecosystem in the region? 
and one of the um, one of the uh, speakers on the the panel was Rody Hawkins, and Rody is the president and chief executive officer of Improved Nature. And I have Rody with me here today to talk to us a little bit more about not just Improved Nature and kind of what they're doing in the marketplace. But uh, he's going to kind of walk us through really a lot of his philosophy around commercialization, the challenges in commercializing a new idea, and really all the different facets or silos within a business that have to be commercialized to make your product viable. Rody, yes. welcome in today. Well, thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. No, you're you're so welcome. But you know what? This is one of the funniest things I've <laughs> I find. Um, you were on a plant-based panel, and yes. for people, yeah, I know you're you're pretty well known, but I'm just going to say this: you have a an undergrad in animal science, you have a master's in food science, and then you have your PhD in meat science. So, what is a meat lover doing <laughs> <laughs> on a alternate protein panel? Yeah, I, I affectionately call myself a meathead, but. Uh, I always say that God had a, has a sense of humor because because uh, where I end up is kind of it is kind of uh, funny. I never thought I would be on a doing plant based, but it was it became a mission for us. Uh, how do you feed ten billion people by the year twenty fifty, and how you do it effectively? And and the best answer to the solution was uh, was plant based. That's so. Tell us what just what were some of the few takeaways that you got from that panel that was that you were recently on the, the one in Chapel Hill. Well, it yeah. Uh, the, the, the well, the, you what you noticed about me is I'm different from a lot of the other people. They have a lot of passion for uh, for uh, I guess protect animals in that in that ecosystem, and I've really come from it by just trying to help people and feed the world. So the, the way to do that, though, is, is I find that that um, most of the people, especially in this area that I'm in, are, are happy to do, go both ways. And, and right. a lot flexitarian, of Flexitarian, you mean? Flexitarian. It's, it's, it's the only way that it's all, I think it's all going to be, be successful. Yeah, I agree. And that's that kind of fits the category that I'm in as well. So was whether just I'm just kind of curious from that panel, were there just was there anything interesting, kind of a, a few key takeaways in terms of, you know, how they are going to build a plant based ecosystem? Well, the one, one of the things about North Carolina is which we have an advantage of. There's a lot of technology companies here. And uh, that's that makes it easy for the technology to blend into the food industry. Uh, NC State University is a is one of the preeminent food science institutions in the state. So we have a lot of the the uh, uh, footprints. I mean, that's this is Carolina's coming at it from a from a uh, marketing and, and a sales perspective. Uh, NC State is coming at it from a technical perspective, and and even Duke University is coming at it from a a nutritional and uh, maybe the bigger picture, how do you feed the world perspective? Right. And so I think all the, the elements are here and, and it's being led by students. The students have said, let's, let's do this. And I tell you, I think they're the most organized student organization I've ever been a part of. They are, they are on the ball. They are passionate about what they're doing. And I think that's going to help us bring uh, ever, everyone together here in, in the state to do that. So I see that as a, as a big push. One other thing is really key here, not on the biotechnology part of it. We have the uh, we have the uh, 
Food Innovation Center down in Kannapolis, it's, which is uh, was funded by the Doyle Foundation, and that is an amazing place. If you've not heard about that, that is a, that is also an amazing place here in North Carolina. And uh, we also have the Department of Agriculture here in the, in the state of North Carolina. It's a very diverse agricultural state, and uh, they are supporting of us too. So we have all the the right elements to to build that ecosystem. The further processing part is where where I, th- I think is the void, and that's what we're trying to to do in, in our particular case. Yeah, I have found that you need a few really anchor companies to kind of take off, and they start hiring. They're bringing people in. More people are getting trained because you need that base of people. You need that labor base exactly. as well. You touched yes. on it. You touched yes. on it, but it's it kind of it's a snowball effect, right? It kind of builds on it on one on the other and it is going to take a big company i think with deep pockets to really make those investments so let's get into our our main topic because this is really where a lot of your life and your experiences have have really taken you to this point um with where you are now at improved nature but you've spent your life you know helping food companies develop new products new food products set up operations and kind of solve the complex problems and control cost and um, looking at all the different aspects so let's just start from a very high level what does commercialization mean that's a very good question commercialization to me is taking an idea and turning it into a product on the shelf so that's in a very and that there's a lot of steps in between there and and you're right about one thing i have done that for the at the time i worked for the the largest food company us and i worked for two different companies that were the largest food company in the us at the time i was working there and uh, also i've done work for about 130 other food companies of all different sizes and from multi-billion to to uh those guys who just have an idea and they want to get something to the marketplace so I've had a very broad background, but to get that commercialization is to take that idea, turn it into a product, manufacture it, get the financing, get the technical expertise, getting all the regulations solved, and then putting it, getting it to the market and finding a place on the shelf. Yeah, and there is so much there, and I'm really looking forward to diving into this. And I was doing a little research around some of your ideas because you you've spoken on this before you've chatted with me a little bit about this as well going into this meeting and your philosophy really in short is that you think the emotional side and some of these unforeseen issues are going to really dictate the success or failure of an idea can you explain what you mean by that oh that is that is uh that is something i have had to learn because i most of the people in our my area are technical. They're not emotional, but right. The, it's all very. It's all they're approaching it from the science perspective. Exactly. Right? So let me, let me give you a couple of stories I, I that I learned early on. One was um, uh, Lunchables, and my one of my first big successes with Lunchables in the marketplace. And I remember when I started developed the product, got it funded because it was not a funded project at the time. And when it came down being funded. I had a person who told me for an hour that it was the worst idea he'd ever heard of and why we were spending so much money to launch this product called Lunchables. <laughs> and um, and Name, Names not to be given because no, I won't give names they on were that. so wrong. Oh, yes. And, and one of the things that people – and even when the executives took it to focus groups and, and saw that, they were still missing the emotional – 
point that I saw early on. And one of the things, what he was telling me was, you're giving them a, a tray that has multiple items in them. And if they don't like one item in that tray, they're not going to buy it. And I said, you don't understand. This is, that's trading food. This is, this is interactive food. It, we are for the privilege of putting your own stuff together and being able to trade or, or switch it around. You're empowering the consumer to have interactive lunch and kids especially. So that was, that was the secret of Lunchables. It wasn't about you're giving them a tray to eat. You're giving them the ability to prepare their own food and start, you know, and you put the crackers and the cheese or the, or the, uh, the tortillas and the, however you wanted to do it, it was your ability. And so that was interactive food and it became an emotional attachment to that particular item. Now, let me ask you this because I got to give you, I, there's one thing I got to give you the, the, the opposite of, of, of uh, that what's emotion. the opposite? What's the so opposite? This, of that? this is the, this is the thing that I'll just love. Uh, and it has to do with slim gems. So we would go to market research on slim gems and we sit there, you know, listening to consumers talk about slim gems for an hour and a half. And they'll complain about the, the meat and they complain about the taste and they complain about the, um, they would complain about the, um, uh, whatever the uh, the packaging, you can't get into the packaging, and then they they complain about oh, all sorts of things for an hour and a half. All we heard is everything they hated about a Slim Jim's, and at the very end, we say, "Okay, thank you for your feedback." And there's samples laying on the table, and say, and they say, "Can we have these?" And say, "Sure," and they grab them and stick them in their pockets and walk out the door. <laughs> So, I, I mean, what in the world? Yeah. So it was a, it was, a, they have an emotional attachment to that. It wasn't, it wasn't anything in particular about the product. It was the idea of Slim Jims. And uh, Jack Links took that and, you know, they, they did their whole marketing campaign, not on the, the quality or the nutritional or the flavor of their jerky. It was all about Sasquatch, you know. And I remember that. So it, it was an emotional attachment to a product. So that is the best way. And I always look for those emotional attachments to a, to the product, whatever that may be. That is that was that's what's going to assure you're you're, you're going to become a, a, a well. The, the Lunchable is a billion dollar product category, and and Slim Jims became is like the number one selling meat snack item in the in the probably in the world. You just you said something that just kind of struck with me about the emotional attachment to the food and where you can kind of mix and match and kind of play a part in it all. Yeah. This is a totally random non sequitur, but that's literally one of the things I love about making fajitas. Yes. Yes, exactly. I love that. I, it's like when I go, that's what I want to do because I have total control. And early on, other companies tried to come out against with, with Lunchables and they would have their everything already prepared just different items in there but you had nothing to do except open just eat it and that was that those did not make it very very far got it that's interesting so that is one of your claims to fame yes as you said at the top there are so many different buckets right that you've got to look at to commercialize a product. I'm trying to think, you know, where do we start? Where's the best place? You're a, you're a brand, you're, a, it doesn't matter. Where, where would you start? And maybe even define for us the buckets that you want to talk about today. Define the big buckets that you want to cover. And then let's just kind of dive in and just understand how you'd go about doing this. 
Well, the first one we just kind of talked a little bit about is marketing. And then manufacturing is the next step. Sales, how we, how we sell the product. One of the key components, it's like next, uh, you know, breathing is financing. You have to have the money to do it. And then the big thing that you really need to know how to do is the technical technical part of it, which is, is regulations and all that, is, which is which is becoming more and more involved every single day. And I've had and I've grown up through that through my I've grown up through my career learning all this information about the technical side of it. But the the marketing side, real quickly, we just kind of talked about it. Uh, is that you have to you need to looking for a not only a market need, but you got to you want to not always the best product is always going to win. So you need to find some way to connect your product to the customer. Some people do that within um, with with labeling. That's the way we had to do it. Some with advertising. Uh, the internet is becoming a good way to do that. And and I get I get emails every single day from people wanting to help market my products and can do it either through TikTok or or through the uh, some other marketing campaign on the on the internet. So all those ways to reach your customer are, are really key. Back in the days when we were started with with uh, Slim Jims, I got to tell you this one story. So the first first advertisement of Slim Jim was trying to uh, uh, relate to the the mother and say, give that give that kid a Slim Jim, a spicy, juicy treat. You know, like this is this is great. Do that. That marketing campaign failed miserably. It was a complete uh, failure. They came back and started marketing with the the WWE, uh, which was the WWF at the time, but WWE, and and it was really just excitement around this product. It was uh, the, the the first spokesman was the Ultimate Warrior, and 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 then uh, we went with the Macho Man, and uh, uh, that's who I was trying to. Th- yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, the, the Macho, Macho Man, man. Yes. Action, which I knew personally. He's a he's a great guy, and he under and those wrestlers understand what they're doing. It is almost like uh, uh, high uh, emotional. I would call it a soap opera, but it was. But there is a lot of physicality in that, and there's they are what they're doing is uh, even if even if you if you think it's all. Uh, choreographed it still takes a lot and it hurts they get injured all the time doing what they're doing but but he was such an effective spokesman he knew how to what he was doing and how to market things which was great and that's how slim jim and that and and the x games and nascar and 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 several others it just came the excitement about that product and that's the reason it became such a, a a huge success so let's transition to manufacturing because obviously you're you're probably talking about supply chain and supply chain is very expensive these days so what's the issue that you have to focus on there well the number one thing and it, i've seen this hurt so many people is you have to have a reliable source of raw materials if if you're if you don't have a source that you can grow with you're not going to last very long out there so uh, that was one of the things we we really looked at uh very seriously about our idea in launching improved nature do we have a reliable source of raw materials that was our number one criteria if we didn't have that we weren't we were not going in business we were not even going to start that so i have seen several companies have successful launches of products and one of them was in business for over 15 years but doing when the supply chain got 
disrupted. And then, and of course, it, it was disrupted in the last couple of years because of uh, the, uh, the pandemic. Uh, they they ended up going bankrupt because they, they could not maintain their business model because of disruption of supply chain. Rody, so that is, are there some red flags maybe that you might – or yellow flags maybe when talking to suppliers that might give you an indication you could run into trouble? Uh, yes. Well, what, what, if it's something that's very unique or you only have one source of that particular uh, – whatever that may be, raw material, then – that is a that's a yellow flag. Uh, you you would you would want to make sure that you have a long term contract or something some type of uh, firm agreement with that particular supplier. Now, unless you're unless you're growing your own, I mean, there those there are those companies that are growing their own food and then turn around and manufacture it and, and launching it. They don't have to worry about that quite as much because that's what they're marketing themselves on. But most people that are that come to us uh, have have ideas and they. And they know what they need to do, but they have to have the sourcing of, of the raw material. So that's that is, that is key. Yeah, and I guess knowing where you're sourcing from, right? Because if you're yes. sourcing internationally, you've got geopolitical issues. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of things that are un, that are just unknown. I think you kind of well, I, I guess that's one of the parts of your philosophy is the yes. unforeseen issues it could be exactly. something like that right like maybe exactly. you were sourcing something out of ukraine well oops yeah that's a that's a that's a problem now we, we we look at that all the time and and the other thing that that we've done and and my group in, in our careers is we we've launched product just about uh, we have launched product all over the world and we and we do a lot of stuff with with a lot of displaced populations and and uh groups like that so we need to make sure that what we're what we're doing we can source our raw materials we're constantly looking for those uh more than one uh source of raw material as well as a reliable source and in fact this year that has been fairly steady for the last for most of my career but the last year and a half i have been going back and and re-looking for uh suppliers for different raw materials that's been that's probably been one of the biggest increases in problems in the last year and a half. Do you have any comments or thoughts around co-packing and or distribution? You know, the co- couple of things about co-packers and I've, I have dealt with uh, multiple co-packers. Like I said, I, I don't even, I can't even tell you how many production plants I've been into. And the philosophy of co-packers is they want enough volume to keep their plants running. They, if, if, if you're a small, uh, a, doing a small run, it's really, really tough to find a co-packer. So to a certain level, you need to find somebody that and, and a volume amount of volume to run it through their facility. So you're all constantly looking for how many pounds per hour you have to run to be uh, effective. That's what a co-packer is looking for. And how much can you sell? And then if your product will has a long shelf life, then you're, you might have to run you know, only a few times a year. But the other thing that's, that the other side of that coin is after a while, a co-packer is not just looking at you. He has all these other customers they're servicing also. And one of those customers gets really big, and I, I can name a few companies that have done that. They will turn around and buy, either buy the co-packer or buy their production volume, and you get kicked to the curb. And, and you're booted out. I've seen that happen many times, many times. And and then they come looking for another place 
to produce their products. And, I, and I've actually seen fairly good, sizable uh, brands or quality of, of products that do that, that happen. So that's one of the reasons for the a lot of the consolidation in the food industry is because of the, the, those two concerns right there. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you one more. I, I got to tell you one more story that that um, uh, about manufacturing and, and not always the best product wins. And we had developed a, a product for the uh, it was for the U.S. Air Force. And uh, it was they wanted something to help keep their pilots alert over a period of time. So they're really looking for something with caffeine in it, caffeinated product. And uh, we produced a caffeinated bee stick, which was which was a great product. Now, caffeinating bee sticks is not legal to do, but we looked for a way and we actually found a way to do it. And the product went into the uh, test market with the uh, U.S. Air Force and, and they, they loved the product. We were competing against five-hour energy as the, as the uh, product of choice. Uh, we, did, we did not win the contract because uh, only one thing, they liked the product, the product actually scored better, but the five hour energy could be consumed much faster than our product. So it was just, it was speed of consumption that, that knocked us out of that particular item. But I will tell you, I got to tell you the story. I think our product was one of the best products I've ever created because I had a Christmas party every year at my house from our, for our um, neighborhood. And usually about 11 o'clock, it's, it's over with. But they always ask me what I've been working on these last few years. So this year I show them, well, I've, I've been doing this. Caffeinated, caffeinated beef. beef <laughs> Everyone broke, stayed up till 3 a.m. <laughs> it was, th- well, let me tell you, at 3 a.m., my wife and I go like, you know what, we're going to bed because we didn't eat them. Everybody was still partying. I said, well, they're our neighbors. They'll close up. We went to bed at 3 oh a.m. at our own house and our own party. And the I don't, they told me the party ended about 5 a.m., I guess. That's hysterical. <laughs> so I know the product worked because one of the guys, I have never seen him there past maybe 9 or 10 o'clock, and he was there to, all night long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you should sell those to are the uh, casinos. You know, that is a great idea. I hadn't thought about that oh, at all. My Lord, I, I need to. I, I might have to bring that back to the bring that back up again. But wow, it was, it, man, it was a great. Let me tell you, it was a great product. I used them for a while, and and uh, I've been doing long haul driving. It worked. It, I it, guarantee you. The problem, that is, let me just tell you that the, the problem we have with that product, you cannot indicate on the stick you can't market it as it's caffeinated you cannot it's against it's it's illegal by the usda will not let you do that and and we had the u.s military petitioning the usda to make that a legal product and we found a way to make it legal but we could not tell anybody that we it was caffeinated we could not market it that way we cannot tell anybody so it's the best product that i've ever created I i don't know how to market it to 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 get it to people so but you, maybe wow, you got an stay, idea. Maybe I can do it through a casino or something like that. There you go, guy. Everyone, stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. Coming to a casino near you. People still um, ask me for that product. They still ask me for that product. That's funny. I should have asked for some samples. Actually, I am. I want yeah. samples. I got to remake them. They're, they're, I've been, I've been, they are probably now about seven, eight years old, and I'm still eating them. <laughs> they're, not, they're not that tasty as they used to be, but they, they oh still work. Lord. Talk about shelf life. Let me just tell you. Yeah, well, that's what I know. Yeah, I know. I know. I know about things like that with the military doing stuff for the military. You have to have a three-year shelf life on things, and then that's that's what we're experts in. Definitely. Um, 
Listen, I, we talk a lot on this podcast about sales. So I, I know um, you've got experience in this space. I don't think we have to go too deep into sales because it's it's really a theme quite quite a bit, but I'm sure you've got some stories around that um, before we get into finance and, and kind of the technical and, and regulation side of it. Well, the, the, I'm, I'm going to go back to um, back in the days. Uh, this was, this was a uh, really uh, a good time for us. Is when I first started working at um, was Goodmark Foods, they're making Slim Jims. And we were, this was back when, if you can imagine, meat snacks, jerky, and beef sticks were not sold that much in convenience stores. I don't, most people cannot even imagine what, what I'm talking about, but the only convenience store of any size was 7-Eleven, and we were having to convince them to carry our product and sell them, and you could make money selling Slim Jims in 7-Eleven. And they said, okay, you can sell them there, but we have no space on the shelf for you. So we actually had to create our own display to sell in their stores. So we we became uh, what I call cardboard carpenters and figured out ways to to have point of purchase displays in 7-Eleven stores, which at the time there wasn't that much uh, much done in that in that realm. There were some metal racks and things like that, but we we couldn't afford metal racks, so we would figure out ways to take cardboard and turn it into a display to sell products in 7-Eleven. And um, so the other thing about if you wanted shelf space, people rent that space. That is uh, big companies. Like if you go in a lot of major grocery stores, you see Frito-Lay has this huge aisle of their of their chips and corn chips and Doritos. And and uh, but they pay for that space and you have to pay money to, to put take them out of that space. So that costs a lot to get your products there. Is that considered slotting? Slotting feeds, exactly. Yeah. The slotting feeds, they are definitely a hindrance, and a lot of people don't understand that. So, uh, I, and one more thing that we did in the early days, which um, I think is very interesting, is that we, Sam's Club came to us back in the early days, and the, the giant Slim Jim was actually the number one selling product at Sam's Club of any product. We were the number one selling product. And this was kind of back in the days when there was a lot of mom and pop stores. So they would go to Sam's and buy the Slim Jim and then take it to their stores and resell it. Mark it up. Mark it up and sell it. Yes. So they came to us and said they wanted to create a a, a pallet display to sell in their stores. And um, we didn't even know. I didn't even know what that meant. You know, so... Uh, at that time, you just had it on a pallet and you stuck it on the shelf and people came by and picked it off the pallet. So we actually created the two, the first two pallet displays for Sam's Club. And they, they took what we were, what we had created and went to all their other customers and said, see, this is what we need you to make for your products too. Well, so, so you've innovated, you've innovated. In right. Sam's Club, yeah, in yeah. Sam's Club, marketing in Sam's Club. Now I don't know. I, Costco was still back on the e, on the West Coast. They weren't back this way. I don't know if Costco had started doing pallet marketing displays at that time. Because if they were, we didn't know anything about it. So we, we had to do it completely in a vacuum with Sam's Club. So this is back in the uh, early late eighties, nineteen eighties. So this goes back quite a while. Yeah, and you're cardboard carpentry comments that's pretty interesting too because nowadays it's all about pos it's all about how can you be right there at the at the register and you guys were i mean you know you were there at the beginning of that well the the, the convenience stores where you went to pick up cigarettes they were right there that was the prime spot for cigarettes was at the uh at the cash register 
and uh, you could not knock them out, out out of that spot. The rest of it was chips and and soft drinks and and beer. So that, that was what was in convenience stores. Now you can't even go in a convenience store without falling over a, a beef jerky or meat snacks. They're in like multiple places in those convenience stores, and it's a big seller for those items. Yeah, we so. just had a we just had an episode on the on, on the evolution of the convenience store. It is totally changed. It is definitely tr- it's trending now toward good for you. Believe it or not. Yes, yes, it's gone. It, it has changed a whole whole lot. And, yes, uh, a so, whole lot. Yeah. Um, why don't you let, look, let's just, touch, let, me, let me just say one more, one more thing on sales before we move on the, right now, the quickest way to the consumer is online sales and, and everybody knows yep, it, but DGC. I am, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I am not the expert on that. I, I see it. I, I know it's, I know that's the way to do it. Um, uh, and people are, are, are getting their products known online. So that is, that is getting it to a store, a physical store is uh, you have to have a distributor. You have to have the right distributor, the right people. You got brokerage people that can help you do that. There's cost involved. There's markups. There's all this that you have, the markup on the price of the product. You got to know what that is so you can get to the price point you want at the retail level. There's a lot involved in that. Online has its own set of of, of problems too, but that's, uh, that is the quickest way to get to the consumer if you can effectively market online. Yes. And I've had other episodes around that. And I think if you're listening to this and that's an area that you want to go into, you need to look at D, uh, DTC and look at Amazon because that seems to be yep. where exactly that is happening. Um, we'll make a few comments because we, we're kind of running out of time. Why don't you make a few comments about finance and um, and, and, and the technical side? Because I okay. know there's... There's, I mean, we could spend the whole episode on the technical side. So, oh yeah, so that that's my. You hadn't even got to my major. My I know. Major, like major I did that on purpose. I know. I know. The well, on the finance part, you margins and capital are both needed for success. You have to have a margin on the product that you can continue to reduce or produce that product because there's going to be unforeseen costs that you're not going to know about. I've seen. I've seen a, a product that was uh, a product going to be launched in, in Walmart and uh, the margin was not there. And uh, well, actually they had launched the product and they got an order want to launch it in Walmart. And, but the margin was not there. And I was telling them, you don't want, you don't want that business. You don't want that Walmart business. Cause you're going to, it's not going to come out well. And they said, well, efficiencies, we will be able to make up that margin. It, it did not work. The only blessing that happened was the uh, one of the big guys came back and bought the, that bought it back out away from them. They basically took the product away from this company, I see. which was a blessing for them because if they kept on doing it, they would have been bankrupt. So, give us the, some parameters around margins. What it's what are some ideas? To you, what you want to see is about a fifty percent. You want to see a fifty percent margin for your cost versus what you're going to for your variable cost uh and then to what you're going to sell it for so if you cannot produce it for at least 50 percent of the final cost of the product i would not do it of sales price of the sales price yeah that you're going to sell it for not the finished sales price but your price right uh, what you you're used selling to, condi- to, to, to whoever, whether it be the yeah. distributor or whoever. Right. Okay, and then, and then you're going to have costs involved with that. That don't get me wrong. Your your margins are going to keep get eaten away 
all the way up through the, you got distribution costs, you got overhead costs, you got your technical costs, you got the regulatory costs, you got all these other costs that are going to, that's above that 50%. So uh, if you, if you're saying you're going to sell it for a dollar and, and the, the direct cost to make that product is 50 cents, go for it. Got it. Cause you're still, you're not going to end up at 50. No, no. Yep. And these big companies are so efficient. I mean, mink companies, they, they, they work off of pennies profits on, and they're doing it because of their, their efficiencies and the volume that they're able to generate with these huge, huge company processing companies, which I've been in a, many of them. But the other thing that, I, I want to tell you because I've done so many because my my career I've had the uh, benefit of going in and, and solving problems for other companies of all sizes. Some of them, like I said, multi billion dollar companies to the mom and pop. And I always tell everybody the only difference between a large food company's problems and a small company's problems is the price tag. They all have problems, and I love it when I walk in. They say uh, we we have. Uh, a process we've been running for years and now it doesn't work and we haven't changed anything. And we had Dr. So-and-so in here, try to fix it and he couldn't fix it. That's the problem I wanted. That's the problem I love to solve. And of course, the number one thing is when they say nothing's changed, something changed. Obviously something's changed. Something changed and they're just not aware of what it was. Mm. And usually Which is people, why you got to go walk the floor. You, you know, walk the floor and talk to people. Yeah. You talk to the people on the, and they don't understand what's what technically what happened, but they can tell you when something changed. And they they always say, "Well, we used to do it like this, but now all of a sudden they told me I want they wanted me to do it like that, and so they changed something." And then you try to figure, well, what? Okay, why did so? What what changed when that changed? What else changed? What else? What did it cause to change? Was it for the good or for the bad? And I'm dealing with problems like that even today. Even well, let's today. do this, Rody, because. And instead of diving into some of the technical and regulatory issues, why don't we spend our last couple of minutes, tell people a little bit more about Improved Nature, what you're producing, what you're making, and what is your mission? Our, our mission was to feed an ever-growing population quality protein products. Three of the, of the uh, founders with me had been working in the plant-based industry, and they were producing using TVP and forming it together, making products. And they just with, didn't have the texture. They call it the crappy textured products. And they just did not like producing something that did not live up to the standards. So our whole mission at Improve Nature was to develop the texture in plant-based that you have in meat. And that's the reason I'm involved with this company because the, I'm all about texture. So texture is our number one thing. So we figured out a way to do it and do it efficiently with a nutritional product and with only one ingredient. And the one ingredient is the plant-based protein. So we're basically taking a plant-based protein powder, turning it into elongated fibers and forming them together into different uh, units that turn into finished products, every, anywhere from plant-based jerky to uh, burritos, tacos, to, to nuggets, tenders, and fillets. We're we actually had products in the in the uh, Los Angeles United School System that met the child nutrition standards, all the way to things like swarma, and uh, it goes into it's think of us as meat as an ingredient, but as meat as further processing. That's what we're doing, and we're doing it with a with an ingredient that only has you know one one ingredient, and that's 
the protein itself. I didn't hear plant-based Lunchable. You know what's going on? <laughs> I mean, come on. We we think that we can do that. You know, too. I'm not even gonna. I, I'm not even gonna publish this episode. I am so disappointed. <laughs> Yes. Uh, you know, there are good- Get back to me. I want to see, come on. I want to see a sustainable, reusable carton. <laughs> our, our biggest thrill that we're doing, we're getting ready to launch plant-based jerky. We actually have been out with a plant-based jerky product for three and a half years. It was actually distributed in Whole Foods nationwide. And it was, it became the number one SKU of this particular company. We were supplying them. and um, oh, Like a white we, label? Well, it was uh, uh, the company uh, actually had problems with their. They were also a beef jerky company and a turkey jerky company, and they could not. Uh, they were subject to a distribution problem. They could not get their raw materials, and that put them under. Their plant-based product was their number one selling item, but they couldn't save the, the beef and the jerk and the turkey part of it. So, uh, I don't want to give any names here. No, but, no, no, uh, it's okay. But we are we are in the process of getting ready to relaunch that. We have we have the um, oh I got it. That's not a white label. I got it. That's a- no no. But we also have other branded products that we are they are white labels that we are getting ready. We're ready to produce that. We set up another manufacturing facility to do that. And our and our base product is is so as the texture so good that it it makes it makes a I think it makes a. a a better tasting, a better eating experience than, than regular beef jerky. So well, that's, that's what people want. Listen, I mean, yeah. that bottom line, if, if people are drawn to plant-based, well, people are drawn to plant-based for lots of different reasons, but your flexitarian doesn't want the weird texture. They just no. don't. I mean, no. you're a meat eater, you know, yeah. I'm a flexitarian. So when I go after plant-based, you know, it, it's got to have a little chew to it, you know. So, yes. uh, listen, this, you, you know, let me just tell you, this product, when we make it, uh, when we make samples at our plant, we have to hide it. We have to it literally <laughs> have to. People have to, are like. People will eat it all. It, it gets gone <laughs> fast. And it's like, it's like the, uh, it's, it's like the, the premium product in our, in our production plant. Pilfering uh, is a real problem, people. Look at this. <laughs> well, when we put it out on the table at, at meetings, oh, right, right, right. everybody like eats. Everybody, it, it gets That's gone. It, it doesn't. It's not like oh, I don't like this. It's like oh, this is great, and they can't. And they, you know, it, it's addicting. You just keep eating it, and and I would eat it. <laughs> I really, and this is this is hard for me to say, but I would actually, if I had beef jerky and that sitting there, I'd eat that instead of the beef jerky. That's how good it is. So, well, yeah. I mean, if if it again, if if it's a good substitute. This has been this has been a lot of fun. I love your stories, and I know there's a lot more for us to talk about in the future. And that's what we'll do. We'll just we'll have you back in the future, and we'll do another one. Before we wrap up, just tell everybody, uh, Rody, what's the best way for people to discover your product and and try this? Well, we're at we're online at improvednature.com. Improved with a D. Improvednature.com. That's our website, or you can uh, email me and. and I'm, I'm going to give you my email. I get, oh, I get, boy. Oh, I get 100 boy. emails a day easily, and, and I have to so – Just don't you have give to, out your phone number. Well, I think yeah, people yeah, do. Yeah. Just, just don't – what's you, the email? Uh, Rody, dot Hawkins, H-A-W-K-I-N-S, at improvednature.com. Excellent, excellent. Any uh, major retailers that you want to uh, highlight? Our 90% of our market, Tony, is in Europe. 
We are we are big sellers in Europe of our products. See, we keep uncovering areas of opportunity here, Rody. I know here in the U.S. and that's what I, we're focusing on that right now, and we're getting ready. We have some major players we are looking at right now here in the U.S. But I should have picked up on that. I missed that. All right, guys. Okay. That's it. You've heard from Rody and his great stories. Um, be sure to, you know, go, you know, go online, check it out. You can probably order some samples and just kind of order it directly from them at that point. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time.